Welcome to the Sonic Nuance Electronics Podcast, focusing on topics of interest to worship teams as well as anyone involved with musical recording and performance. Today's interview is with Tyler Vose, Worship Director at Northwest Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Hi, Tyler. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on board to do this interview. Yeah, glad to do it. Thanks for the opportunity. Tell me a little bit about your role at Northwest Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, at Northwest Community Church, I'm the worship director, uh, which is basically, uh, it's a pastoral role. It's, a, it's essentially a worship pastor position um, at our church in particular. Uh, they interpret that the role of of pastor is interchangeable with elder and overseer, so they don't title you a pastor unless you're effectively serving on the elder board, um, which I am not at present, and so uh, something that I aspire to hopefully do in the future. But as of now, I'm just serving as in more of a a director capacity um, in sort of a pastoral role. Got it. Tell me a little bit about your musical background and the types of instruments you play. Okay, uh, yeah, I uh, started playing uh, at the age of 13. Um, I picked up a acoustic guitar. My grandpa had lying around, nylon string guitar. And back then it was like grunge was the thing. So <laughs> learned how to play a bunch of simple Nirvana songs and that type of thing and just fell in love with the guitar and uh, bought an electric, started playing played a lot of blues and stuff to start with. And then, uh, and then, uh, by the time I hit high school, I got into punk rock pretty heavy. And oh, yeah. for the next, uh, seven, eight years, I played in, uh, the local Phoenix music scene and, and punk bands and, uh, did some, did some touring and had some fun, but ultimately, uh, God was gracious enough to save me at the age of 24 and uh redeem me from that, that lifestyle and uh <laughs> i bet so, you have some stories don't you <laughs> yeah there are definitely some stories it's uh you know it's uh it was a bumpy road there for a while um but uh yeah i think god used all of that to uh draw me to himself and i became a believer at the age of 24 um and started serving in church pretty much immediately after that just playing electric and then gradually got opportunities to lead and uh started leading and so i uh, went to went back to school at the age of 28 and got a, a degree in vocal performance mm -hmm. so my degree is in voice but my sort of instrument of choice is guitar got it so you do a lot of the leading at your church in terms of uh, the vocals, or is that divvied up amongst other members? I do most of it. Um, we do have we have a lot of talented vocalists, which is a really nice uh, it's a really nice challenge to get everybody worked in and 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 let them use all of their gifts. Um, but yeah, I would do I do probably seventy percent of the leading on Sunday. And uh, then we have some other vocalists that, that tackle probably 30% mm -hmm. any given Sunday. 
And how has the life of a worship leader um, changed you from your life as a touring musician? I know that's a loaded question. (laughs) You know, I would say that, you know, I had a friend at one time that was in the music scene with me and we were, you know, we were in a project together and he had said, um, you know, if I don't make it in music, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go start going to church and get hired on as a worship pastor, uh, as a, as a worship leader. And I was like, are you a Christian? Like, do you, <laughs> you believe that? He's like, no, but I mean, I'll be, be able to make a living. It's the music's all really easy. And so, um, I found that, uh, you know, the church is, is more discerning than that. Um, and if I, if my life hadn't changed from where I was initially, um, upon being, well, first of all, when I became saved, my life changed drastically. A lot of the stuff I knew I wasn't supposed to be doing, um, you know, I knew it even while I was doing it, even though I wasn't a believer, my conscience, you know, was telling me you shouldn't be doing this stuff. This stuff isn't good for you. Mm-hmm. And so I cut out a lot of stuff initially. I started studying the Bible and, you know, learned a lot about, um, you know, Christian character and, and what that looked like. And, you know, gradually the Lord uh, transformed me um, and I didn't really get a chance to lead until I'd already come down that path quite a ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, you know, I think that that was good. I think that was indicative of me being in a good, healthy environment to develop as a Christian and that I wasn't just thrown in there because I could do it. Yeah. I mean, I did play guitar um, earlier on, uh, but as far as actually being a leader, I had, you know, come to some level of maturity and, and theological grounding prior to that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a totally different person. People don't, my friends back then think I'm, I'm crazy. (laughs) I think that's really smart of if that was the influence of your church, or if that was your decision, I think that's really smart to take the time and get grounded before, before you're leading, because you're up for all kinds of things that are going to come at you as a leader. And it's, good to have a nice foundation i think yeah at the time i was at a church in on the east in the east valley in arizona called scottsdale bible church and there's people there that really i think uh were were instrumental in in teaching me um you know how to approach music um in a in a god honoring way and what was important and what wasn't important and it you know it took a while at first you know I learned pretty early on that my motivate my main motivation for doing music prior to coming to Christ was for myself. It mm-hmm. was for my identity. It was it was part of how I wanted to be perceived, um, and it was just a source of pride. and um, And so early on, when I, as I was playing, um, uh, I think you know through some through some good leadership, I was able to see some of that and recognize that I needed to. Um, you know, be doing this for the right reason. Um, and that is to glorify, to serve others, you know, and to glorify God primarily. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was really good. And I think, you know, it's then getting the opportunity, I think there's sort of like a, a hand in hand type of relationship between getting, you know, coming to a point of maturity where you're prepared to lead, but also then 
you know, kind of accepting that calling mm-hmm. and recognizing that it's a high calling that, you know, that we're to live lives that are above reproach, that we're a public figure in, in the church. Mm-hmm. And I think that taking on that role of, of servanthood in that capacity also encourages you to become more mature and become more holy and, you know, cut the things out of your life that are in the way of your ability to serve the individuals of your, of your church and to serve God. Great. Can you tell me a little bit about a typical day, if there is such a thing in the role that you're at? Yeah, I mean, things, you know, it depends on the day, obviously, you know, some days are more just meetings and stuff. Mm. But uh, I would say typical day in the week, it consists of a lot of planning. Um, Right now, we're ramping up for our big Christmas presentation. And so, you know, getting um, some orchestral instruments that we plan on using in place and and you know getting choir all the choir music lined up and ready to go and put in the folders and um, and just uh, all the things that come with that all the musicians that need to be scheduled and make sure we, we have who we need we've been trying to track down some some extra brass players that we want to hire Wow. Um, for Christmas, and so we're kind of we're kind of going. This is my first year here at this church, um, and being in charge of a Christmas uh, a Christmas uh, concert of this scale, um, and so I'm kind of learning on the job when it comes to this particular season. But a lot of my time right now is dedicated to that. Um, on on the other side, we have you know youth ministry that I work with those leaders. I meet with them regularly, make sure that they're equipped and ready to serve in their capacity, um, make sure they're, you know, musically uh, growing and and moving on a good path there. Um, we have uh, a hymn sing coming up at the end of October that we have, uh, we're going to do a little bit more traditional thing, um, just kind of give people the opportunity to kind of sing four parts if they know how to, or at least kind of be exposed to that just get together as a church and sort of celebrate some of the traditional old hymns that uh, we don't necessarily do in that genre on Sunday. That's great. I and like so that. just, we kind of have a rotation of different things uh, going on at any given time that, you know, a lot of planning through the week and, and preparing for that as well as obviously um, planning for Sunday morning and, and rehearsing for Sunday and getting all that stuff in place. And since you mentioned Christmas, just for our listeners, uh, this is October 19th. So just to give the new worship leaders an idea of the amount of planning that goes into uh, Christmas. Christmas is kind of like the Super Bowl for (laughs) uh, worship musicians, I guess. Definitely. Yeah. And and Easter. Sorry. For sure. Yeah. We started actually planning a couple months ago. Um, for this. And so right now, I would say uh, 75% of, uh, of everything is kind of in place. And so we're kind of down, we're kind of on the home stretch as far as getting all the all the pieces in place. Um, so hopefully that when the season comes, the dominoes just fall and everything runs smoothly. I'm sure inevitably, there will be things that are more challenging than that. But ideally, you know, having everything set up and it's just a lot of work. I mean, if I was, if I was to try to do the last two months of work in just the month of December, I'd be working 80 hour weeks. Yeah. And so, um, just trying to get all that stuff lined up and, you know, it depends on 
the scope of what you do. And one of the things I've been at NCC for about a year and a half now, and the ministry is much bigger than than any church that I've been at where I've been in charge. I've I've been at you know Scottsdale Bible is a really big church, and I was on staff there for a while um, as an intern. But I mean, they have a, a staff member to handle everything. They had a staff member that's dedicated the pro presenter for all the different uh-huh. venues that they have. They got a staff member that's dedicated to, you know, arranging and music directing exclusively. They've got a staff member that that just basically, you know, leads and and handles kind of like the the leadership role over there. So I mean they've got all these different staff members. Um and you know at smaller churches you're like you're the only guy and you might have a few capable volunteers and that's it. And you're so obviously your Christmas plans are going to be more minimal. Um, here at this church, we're a church of about six, seven hundred on any given Sunday. And uh, and there's quite a bit of, of, of musical talent, which is awesome. But it also, you know, there's capacity to, to do these bigger kind of concerts and stuff and showcase some of the people that we don't use um, you know, on, on Sunday in and Sunday out, some of the more orchestral instruments and that type of thing. So, so yeah, it's exciting. I'm really excited about it. Now you mentioned a bunch of different type of genres, but, uh, if ignoring Christmas and Easter, can you tell me what the makeup of a worship team on average would be like guitar, bass, drums, that kind of thing, or is it violins and horns? Yeah, typically we do, um, the core group would be uh, guitar, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass, drums, piano, keys. Um, And then we have a banjo that we kind of rotate in and a violin that we rotate in kind of as needed, depending on what we're doing that Sunday. But those those are the core instruments that we use Sunday in and Sunday out. Got it. What is your practice routine if you if you have a regular one throughout the week, assuming the services are on Sunday? Uh, looking at your website, I think that's correct. When do you have your band rehearsals? We do our rehearsal on Thursday, and the way the way we try to orchestrate it is, you know, I know a lot of churches kind of approach this differently um, and have different expectations of their teams. I'll get the music up usually at least a week in advance, sometimes a little bit a little bit earlier than that. So they have access to it. And then my expectation is that they learn the important components of the song for their respective instruments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously I'm not giving tra- transcribed uh, guitar guitar lines to everybody and saying, hey, you have to read this part like note for note. But what I expect them to do is listen to the song, work through it and come up with a kind of a closest representation as they can to what's on the the track. Mm-hmm. And that's, that to me is a good starting place. A lot of times we tweak the songs, but if everybody shows up with a feel for how the song should go and all those counter melodies and stuff that are in there are being represented, then we have a good starting place to, to work with. And, you know, sometimes people will be like, I didn't really like it, so I did this with it instead, um, or something along those lines. And I'm cool with that. There's freedom for us as a church to be who we are mm-hmm. and to 
let people have a little bit of flexibility. But my, what I kind of ask of the team is don't, don't do it because you didn't learn the original, (laughs) know the original and then choose to do something different. Yeah. I like that. And so, and so, yeah. And so then we get together on Thursday and, you know, invariably there's always a few parts that are, you know, a little rough, um, that, you know, somebody didn't, didn't get to spend enough time or whatever. And so we just say, Hey, like, okay, this part's the problem area. Let's hit that, go home, kind of woodshed that a little bit and let's hit it again on Sunday morning and, and clean it up a little bit. Is practice at the same location that you have the service, same equipment, or do you guys have a practice room? It is. It's yeah. It's just on the on the platform uh, for Sunday morning. Everything's kind of stays the same. Our AVMs don't move. All that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. And do you have a rule, including the sound people? If somebody can't make Thursday night, what's your approach to that? Like, can they still serve, or it depends on the person? Or yeah, it depends on the person. Um, Generally speaking, if somebody, you know, if a newer musician says, hey, I can't be there that Thursday, I'll say, "Okay, we need to get you on a different week Um, because we need some time to work through those parts and make sure that you're prepared. Um, Whereas kind of the veteran guys in particular, we have we have a few drummers. We have one that serves the majority of the time and it's really great. He's available a lot. He's a really solid drummer. And, um, and so, um, sometimes if he can't make it to rehearsal, we'll just plug him in on Sunday. I mean, it's rare. I'd say maybe once a year he has something where he can't be there. And he's the kind of guy where it's like, I know he's reliable. I know he's going to know his parts. He's going to have the songs roadmapped and he's just going to be able to show up on Sunday and play through them and do a good job. Um, but yeah, generally we require everybody to be there. We highly encourage everybody to be there. And I would say like maybe two or three times a year, somebody that plays on Sunday isn't there. Um, But that's, yeah, it's really infrequent. We definitely try to discourage it. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a Sunday, what it looks like for the band and the audio team in terms of how many services, start time, um, practice, that kind of stuff. Yeah, call time is 7.15. Sometimes we do seven, depending on what's going on. If we have a communion or a little extra material, we'll meet at the, or if rehearsal was rough, I'll say, hey guys, call time seven. We need to get there 15 minutes early and run some of this stuff a little bit more. Um, but uh, generally we, we get together at 7.15, kind of do a quick sound check, do a kind of a straight run of our set, tackling transitions and how all that stuff's gonna happen. And then our first service is at 8.30. And then our second service is at 10.30. And everybody stays on campus after the first service till the second service? It depends. There's usually a little bit of a rotation. There will be some people that will be in a class that they'll go to. Um, and then uh, there will be other people that that, that particular you know, semester, we do a kind of a trimester type thing where we do classes that rotate on a three-month uh, sorry, a four-month uh, schedule, and so some of uh, sometimes people will be in a class, some won't. Uh, there usually be a group of the of the team that will go grab coffee and just have a little bit of fellowship time during 
the the first hour and then sit in second hour and so it's good it's good team building opportunity to kind of get to know people and what's going on and during their week sometimes i think as worship teams we spend so much time together playing music that we don't get to know each other yeah. uh, in a way that's that's healthy and it's really good for our team to have you know some time together to talk through life and kind of what's going on and and help to you know bear each other's burdens in that way instead of just being all sort of performance and production oriented on Sunday morning. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think uh, if it's approached as like a small group, if you want to use that terminology, I think it's a lot healthier where you have people praying for each other and like you said, sharing burdens and whatnot. So I think that's great that you guys do that. Yeah, definitely. And we do a devotional before every rehearsal too. So we'll spend some time in the word, spend some time praying for each other. Um, and sometimes like last, I think it was last week, we spent almost an hour doing that. And our rehearsal was cut a little bit short as a result. Um, but it was great. I mean, you know, uh, the Lord was faithful. Sunday came together. Um, it was just, it all worked out. And, and to me, that's, that's the more important thing ultimately is, you know, that we're growing spiritually, that we're getting opportunities to um, have that fellowship and be the church mm -hmm. as well as, you know, I think a lot of times musicians get kind of lost in the hustle and bustle of preparing for Sunday and, and getting all that stuff together. And um, they, they're not really, they don't really get served mm -hmm. by anybody in the church because they're just always tied up getting getting stuff done and so that's a really important part of what we do true you mentioned that uh, you try to have the song list up a week before um, what goes into the decision of the set list and what is going on behind the scenes like are you coordinating with the, the person giving the sermon yeah we really don't approach it that way um, we're, you know, like I said, I've been here for a year and a half, uh, and the senior pastor and I have a good working relationship. Um, he's, uh, he's teaches, uh, expositionally. So he'll just like walk through a book and sometimes he'll only hit four or five verses on a Sunday. And it, you know, it'll be about like right now we're in first Corinthians and like last, last Sunday we're in chapter 10 where he's talking about not you know partaking in the table of demons and it's and so you know trying to wrap songs into that <laughs> is, you know would be a, a little challenging um unless you play but, highway to hell or something like that. right right exactly exactly um and so so usually what we kind of do our approach isn't so much i mean occasionally there'll be a song that's like oh man it's gonna go with this message great like we'll do that usually what i try to do is just keep a, the majority of our stuff gospel centered and so our music is is very focused around the gospel um i try to you know there's different categories of songs um that i kind of categorize mentally and, um, you know, I've heard like different people say five categories. And um, I think a lot of the songs kind of cross over. So you have songs that are about God and who God is, like songs of ascription. You have songs of thanksgiving, thanking him for what he's done. You've got songs of uh, 
of testimony talking about what you know our experience as believers and and sort of you know unpacking how God has has changed our lives. Um, and so anyway, there's a bunch of different elements that I like to try to balance out. Um, but ultimately, I want the gospel to be the center point. And so on any given Sunday, um, and then there are other considerations. We have a blended congregation. Um, and so and we do both services are the same. And so I'll usually try to do one hymn that we'll do, obviously, in a more contemporary arrangement with kind of acoustic guitar driven, usually. Um, and then uh, I'll usually try to do kind of like a modern hymn as well on any given Sunday. By blended, you're talking about age? Yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. And yeah, so uh, we do like kind of blend the hymns and the contemporary music in a, in a service just to kind of serve the broad scope of the people. And I think there's, it's good to, you know, it's good to have the younger people in touch with where we've, where we've come from, like where, where we come from as a church. Um, and that, you know, there are, there are great hymns of the faith that were written, you know, 1300 years ago that they've heard and they know them and, you know, they, they might not get to sing them. They might not listen to them when they're driving around or anything, but I think it's, there's a good, it's good for people to kind of like be familiar with those and the body of work that the, the church has kind of compiled as far as the, the songs that they've written. And uh, so I'll usually do more of a traditional hymn in a more contemporary format. Um, usually it kind of has more of like a folk flavor. Um, that's where like the, the banjo or the, or the uh, um, violin comes in really, really handy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's and a lot then, of bluegrass uh, gospel-centered stuff from way back that I discovered recently. Bill Monroe and those guys. So there's a long tradition of banjo, so I encourage yeah, you to keep it yeah, going. Definitely. Yeah, there's some good stuff. And I mean, uh, yeah, it's really it's really neat, too, because a lot of the younger the younger kids resonate with the kind of the folk genre. The indie folk genre kind of came back with a vengeance. And so it's kind of a neat way to sort of, you know, tie the old in with the new. Um, and as I, we found it to be really effective here. Um, then usually I'll do like a, a more contemporary hymn, like uh, in Christ alone, mm -hmm. how deep the father's love for us or before the throne of God above. Um, all I have is Christ. They're kind of written in more of like a hymn format, but they're a little bit newer. Um, and then the rest of the set will generally be more contemporary stuff. Got it. Um, any original material? You know, we, we don't, I don't really do much writing. Um, when I was in the secular music scene, I was a, primarily a songwriter. That's primarily what I did. Um, I've written a few songs. Um, ultimately though, what I discovered about, uh, about songwriting for the church for like worship material is that it's, I think one of the most challenging genres to write in. Cause you know, you're writing secular songs. You could be like, you know, like the Beatles, half their lyrics don't make any sense. And they admit that they don't mean anything, <laughs> you know, they're just like, Hey, whatever. Just, we like the way the words sound together. It's all good. 
when you're writing worship songs, like the words have to be substantial. Like they have to mean something. They have to be well crafted, well thought out, theologically correct. Yeah. They have to be fresh because you don't want to just regurgitate what's already been said in 20 other songs that you sing in your congregation. And so, um, yeah, I found it to be really challenging. I think I watched an interview with John Foreman and he said the same thing. Like the most intimidating genre to write is worship music because you're dealing with such an important subject matter and uh, it's hard to write, you know, songs that are simple enough for people to sing along with that are um, that actually say something in a fresh way. Yeah, I totally agree. And as a songwriter, you're a teacher in a way, and you're going to have to account for <laughs> the lyrics uh, at some point. Yeah, that's definitely true. Some of your influences vocally and instrumental wise, and this can be secular or or not. Well, I've been told that um, try as I might, I can't fully remove the punk rocker out of my Good for you. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there's a little bit of that in there, um, you know, which when, you know, when Hillsong was kind of in there in their prime was when I was first when I first came to Christ. So it was kind of like a nice transition because Joel Houston stuff was like my bread and butter. Um, but uh, but yeah, then, you know, having gone to school um, for, for voice, I had to do a lot of classical stuff. And so, um, which was, you know, I didn't like it at first, but I grew to appreciate it and it was fun. I learned a lot about my voice that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think what I was encouraged through the training of my voice is to just let my voice be my voice. Um, you know, I think stylistically there's still some of that kind of like punk energy in the way that I sing. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I just try to sing comfortably uh, you know, if I do a Chris Tomlin song, I don't try to sing it like Chris Tomlin. He's a high tenor. I'm a lower baritone and it's not going to work. It's not going to, I'm not going to sound like him. I just have to sing it the way I sing and what's comfortable in my voice. And, um, and so that was, that was really beneficial. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I like, uh, you know, I really, I like all sons and daughters. I mean, most of the people I like are higher voice types and I can't really sing like them. So I think that frees me a lot from like <laughs> interpretate, interpreting the songs the way that, that they do them necessarily. I mean, I always have to key them down like, you know, two or three steps a lot of times, which I think works well too, because most congregants can't sing that high either, right. at least not the men. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so as far as influence goes, it's, I'd say probably really across the board. I mean, you can't get much further away. I mean, I used to do like, you know, punk and hardcore and like screamo and like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then like I went all the way over and was doing classical, you know, stuff like opera. And so um, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> what about uh, on the instruments, uh, guitar, any influences there? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, early on, a lot of the blues stuff that I played still kind of comes to bear. Um, uh, you know, obviously, being in a worship band, like, you kind of can't avoid the edge. 
um, relating <laughs> a little bit of U2. Um, yes, yes. Because that's, I mean, which really people are like, you know, people complain about that. I think it's, I think it's great. I think that it's like, you know, it's a great uh, style of guitar because it's interesting, mm -hmm. but it's more textural yes. than than soloistic. Yes. And so what you do is you let like lay a nice texture out that, you know, as the song, you can do counter melody, melody stuff that that really adds to the to the flow of the music without stealing the show. And, you know, if like if you were going to do anything like, you know, interesting in another sort of in another genre or another vein, another way, like you wouldn't want to get up there and be doing like, you know, obviously like Steve Vai or, mm -hmm. you know, Joe Satriani or, you know, take your pick. I mean, that stuff would would not like lend itself to congregational singing, maybe for an offertory or a special. Something mm -hmm. like that might be cool. But if, if that's your context, if people there like that. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think the, the U2 sound has has uh, a strong presence here at our church. And uh, and I appreciate it. I think it's it makes it fun to play uh, electric guitar in worship services, even though you can't solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... you can't shred necessarily. Yeah, no finger tapping and all that. Right, exactly. Uh, tell me a bit about some of your favorite instruments or instrument that you use. Yeah, um, I mean, I would say that that's hard. Favorites are a little bit challenging for me because I just feel like there are so many different voices. Like people ask me for my favorite musician all the time. And it's just like, uh, there are so many different voices out there that all have something great to offer. Yeah. Um, I think the same thing is true of instruments. Um, I mean, probably what I spend focus the most on in rehearsals is drums because mm -hmm. the drums play such an important role in uh getting the song where it needs to go uh they sort of drive the dynamic of the song if the drum's not supporting it doesn't matter what you're doing on the guitar it doesn't matter what you're doing with the vocal uh the song doesn't feel like you're at a at that sort of dynamic peak mm -hmm. um if the drums are doing what they're supposed to be doing the song can't help but go there everybody's going to follow because you know Otherwise, the you know, and I mean, even if the, even if they don't follow, you got a drummer building on the low tom and snare, like the song is going there, whether you like it or not, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, uh, so that's probably I think that's the most powerful instrument in the band is the drums, and utilizing drums well um, is is like you know most foundational to what we're trying to do. I mean, ultimately, as musicians. We're not trying to execute parts. We're trying to communicate musically. Right. And so, um, you know, part of that communication is like, you know, introducing introducing the subject matter and then developing it and building it and letting it go somewhere until, you know, because I mean, let's face it, when you hear a song, even if the singer is not singing, the song says something. Mm -hmm. And like great, great songs are when the vocal and the, the melody and the lyrics match what's happening instrumentally. 
And if it's like a more melancholy song with more melancholy lyrics that kind of fit that, that's a powerful, that's a powerful expression. And so um, drums, I would say, are, are the instrument that, that I have a tendency to focus the most on. Um, and then guitar second, just because I'm a guitarist. Um, you're a bassist. I see your bass hanging on the wall behind you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes I neglect the bass players, unfortunately. Oh, shame um, on you. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I try to do better about that. I'm just that. Usually the bass player will follow the drummer. So if I address what the drummer is doing, then the bass player kind of gets the indication of where he needs to go based on what the drummer is doing. If he's Absolutely. doing an eighth note, if he's doing an eighth note build, that the bass player is doing an eighth note build. Good point. Very good point. Uh, do you guys play with click tracks, or does it depend on the song? Depend on the musician? It depends. Yeah, we we normally do. It does depend. We have a choir, and when the choir sings, we have a tendency to not use click just because we want to make sure that, you know, obviously we're not going to pipe the click through the choir monitor. Mm -hmm. And so they can't hear that. And so we want to make sure that if the choir, where the choir goes, the band can go too. Mm -hmm. um, and so generally speaking, when, when the choir sings, we don't use click. And we just found that hasn't been that helpful um, in that instance. Uh, when, uh, and sometimes depending on the drummer, uh, we have a couple drummers that that aren't as adept to it, and so, but they have a good feel. They're not all over the place, mm -hmm. um, and so it's just sort of like a a preference thing for them that they just have a really hard time with it. It's hard for them to interpret the song well while trying to follow that click, and they have a tendency to start ignoring it, and we get a little bit off, and then it's just a mess, and it's just uh, so that's something that you know eventually I'm hoping that we can all that they'll they'll get to that place and we still rehearse with it um i still let them i still ask them to rehearse with it uh uh relatively frequently but uh um i'm not married to it so there are certain there are certain moments that a slight fluctuation in tempo can really do a lot for a song yeah um, yeah I and, agree. and so um, I think that, you know, the biggest thing that I like about the click is the transition ability and not, you know, having a song where like sometimes having a, you need a drummer to click it off so everybody can start at the same time and having that in the ears is, I think presents a lot better, mm -hmm. um, than having a drummer one, two, three, four. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, so most of the time we do, but mm -hmm. I'm not married to it for sure. Tell me a bit about your criteria for selecting musicians, specifically instrumentalists. Well, I'll tell you, I have, um, I, one of my biggest passions is developing young musicians. And, uh, I've, since I've come here, when I came, uh, to this church, they weren't even doing music in their youth group. And I thought that was like, whoa, like that's the first thing we need to fix. Like we need young people getting opportunities to play instruments, getting opportunities to learn instruments. And so um, I, I'm probably a little bit more lax in allowing people who aren't like necessarily 
who are maybe on the fence, like they're not quite ready. Um, but I'll usually try to find a way to get them involved just because I feel like, uh, it's really important to give people opportunities and encourage them. It's hard. It's a lot harder for me. It makes my job harder because I have to figure out how to use them. It'd be a lot easier to just use the, the six best musicians every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Just be like, Hey, here's our team. We'd get really tight. We'd be able, we'd be much better as a band. But I think that part of my job as a worship pastor is to uh, help, you know, lead other people into developing their skills. And it's been really rewarding um, because a few of the people, you know, not everybody puts the time in. And you kind of see that after a while. They have, uh, you know, you have some people that, that get an opportunity and they just they just go crazy with it and they start practicing all the time and they're, you know, they're gung ho about it. And then you see other people who, you know, kind of play as a hobby and they play once in a while you, you give them an opportunity and they're kind of like, they don't really work very hard at it. They're, they're not prepared when they show up and these different things. And at that point I just talk to them and say, Hey, like, I don't know if this is what you're called to. Like, you don't really seem to have a strong passion for it. Um, you've got a little bit of skill, and you've obviously done a little bit of work work at it, but you've got to decide if this is going to be your ministry or not. And if it is, then it needs to be a priority, and you need to, you know, you need to take some ownership of it and work at it. And, you know, there's all, all different motives why people want to play. And, you know, that's true of, of you know, we all have to watch our hearts because, so sometimes we deceive ourselves about why we're up, why we're up there, what's driving us. Um, but uh, so just, you know, that's that's the key for me is finding people who have a calling uh, to be worship musicians and worship leaders and and help give them opportunities and develop them. That's great. I'm glad you take the time for that, because if you don't do it, I don't know who else is going to do it in the church. Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, I think that that's part of our job as a church. Um, we are who we are, and your church is going to look different than my church. And you know, every church is going to have its own sort of unique uh, fingerprint for, from a musical perspective in who who they have. You know, I've really early on. I used to like uh, when I was at smaller churches, I would bring people in constantly and hire people to play and fill it fill out the mix and and do what i want to do and you know i'm not going to say that oh you should never ever do that because i understand what it's like to be in a position where it's like oh we don't have a drummer we need to you know we need to get somebody in here um but uh i would say that i would i would recommend to all worship leaders out there that as far as you can use your people and just be who you are they're going to be the people that are dedicated. They're going to be the people that the rest of the church appreciates seeing up there because they know them. And uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, if you're always bringing in ringers, uh, you don't have any incentive to develop the 15-year-old kid who's got an interesting guitar. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to give him an opportunity. And so I think you're going to end up with a much, uh, a much healthier and a much more fruitful ministry overall if you do the hard work of developing your own people instead of uh, calling in the pros all the time. I like that. 
Um, and that ties in nicely to the next question. Uh, do you have advice for new worship leaders in working with volunteer teams? Oh, there's so much. Yeah. If I was to give one piece of advice, I would say you got to serve your team. Um, you have to, you have to have a heart for those people. Um, you can't be a musician first. Um, as much as, as much as we want to be, as much as we want our music to be awesome and our music and, and everything to be excellent. Um, it's, it's just your ministry. You're going to have a lot of problems, I think. And I mean, I've, I speak from experience cause I've, I've made a priority out of, you know, the end product more times than I care to admit. And you just end up steamrolling people and tr trying to get more out of them than they're capable of giving. And uh, it's important that you know them, you know where they're at, that you tailor what you do to play to their strengths and that you let them kind of gain confidence. They gain trust in you first and foremost, but even gain confidence in what they're doing on your team and what their role is and uh, giving them, you know, opportunity to develop that too, instead of saying, hey, here's who you need to be. Like, um, I've got one guitar player who <clears throat> has a really unique style. He kind of taught himself how to play, and pretty much everything he does is based off of entire bar chords, and he sort of slides up and down the neck doing stuff. Uh, but over time, he's learned how to, like, arpeggiate the chords to, his, to where he gets some pretty interesting voice voicings on chords, and it's sort of like, that's not what I would have taught him how to do. You know, I would say, oh, go to this position, you know, um, you know, uh, go to second position here, go to third position here. And uh, but he doesn't do that. I mean, he does do it. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's fretting the whole bar chord, but he's just playing certain parts of it. And, you know, um, I think that, you know, instead of and I've talked to him about it, I was like, hey, you don't have to do that. You can just do this. Three notes, it's all you need. And so we kind of work through that, but ultimately he's just sort of developed his own style over time. And he does some really cool stuff that unlike what anybody else does, and you know, it adds a lot. And now, you know, I get regularly get compliments on the stuff he's doing on guitar, even though they're not like the typical like worship guitar licks. And so just sort of like not, I guess, demanding too much and you know, getting to know him and serve him and encourage him in spite of the fact that what he does might be a little bit different than what you would do. Um, so, I mean, that looks a lot of different ways. Uh, serving, serving people is challenging because there's not a rule book to how to do it. It, it depends on the person and it depends on the situation you're in. But ultimately, if you're not there to serve your team, first and foremost, uh, it's a pretty good indication that uh, I think that your priorities are a little off and uh, and you're probably not going to be as successful serving the church at large as you would be if you were more dialed into the, the need to serve your own team. Great. I like that. Any closing thoughts? Well, um, well we covered a lot of ground. We did. Uh, <laughs> Tell me about this quote from John Piper that you heard. Yeah, and I might I might not get it 100% right, but the gist of it was that different musical styles awaken different attitudes of worship. And uh I think that's just a great 
Um, it's a powerful, a powerful quote, and it's absolutely true. Um, you know, you listen to uh, contemporary, you know, CCM stuff, and it has that sort of vibe, and it's what people are used to, it's what they, what they hear on the radio. But, you know, you hear somebody sing like a, a classical aria from like Bach, and it's beautiful, and you're and you're blown away in a way that 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 would never you know that you would never get at a Chris Tomlin concert or you know whatever Hillsong or Elevation Worship or you know take your pick. It's just a different voice. It's just a different style. And so to be able to, I think having a mature ecclesiology uh, allows you to recognize that all of these different believers who are part of your body. They have something to offer. They're, the the musical uh, gifts that God's given them will awaken a very individualistic, specific attitude of worship that you may not. It may be uh, unfamiliar to you. It may be something that uh, you don't identify with right away because it sounds foreign. But ultimately, if you if you are to appreciate it and grow to to appreciate it for what it is, it'll allow you to worship in a way that another style wouldn't allow you to. So great. Thank you for listening to this Sonic Nuance Electronics podcast. Please also see our blog at sonicnuance.com, which has more articles on performance, equipment, as well as interviews. SonicNuance.com has handmade rugged direct boxes with phantom-powered chromatic tuners as well as instrument and headphone extension cables. All products are designed, tested, and made in the USA for the ultimate in fidelity and durability. Sonic Nuance Electronics. Simply sound.